It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 117. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So we've joked about it. First of all, you've had a busy morning, I can tell. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, we've joked about it in the past where I come in and I say something like, I'm a PC. But yeah. that has relevance today. Yeah, the return of John Hodgman as the PC. That was pretty funny. I was yeah. I ended up watching it kind of coincidentally just because I don't normally watch the Mac uh, announcements. But um, it was kind of fun to see him. He has not aged well. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Poor guy. He looks fine. He does. <laughs> he does. I think they, they frumped him up a little extra for, Maybe. The, Maybe. for, the, uh, for the show. Anyway, so actually, yeah, you like I said, you had a busy morning. There was a big mm-hmm. announcement from Apple this morning. Um, yeah. The, uh, uh, the keyword the new- seems to be M1. Yeah, that's, they gave a name to the processor, um, which is good because they've been calling it like Apple Silicon, you know, which is, you know, what is that? It's element, right? You know, so um, having a name to the processor you know, it was good. I, I thought they would have just gone with the A process, you know, A14. This would have been like A15 maybe or whatever, but they decided to branch off the Mac ones. Apple seemed to have no problem with that. They've got processors for the watch, for the TV, for iPhone, for the iPad, and they they don't seem to have like the you know issue where it's like, well, we can only produce two versions of this processor and we have to fit them into everything. So, um the M1 processor is the first Mac ARM processor, and they're sticking virtually the same chip in three different machines, which was a surprise because I, I really personally thought it was going to be one machine. I thought they're going to put the processor in one machine, release that, and let people play with it for a few months, see if there are any issues, and then they'll go to their second machine. But instead, they must be feel pretty confident here because they didn't, uh, release one, not even two, but three. I, you know, I thought two was like the upper limit. Mm-hmm. Um, they released a MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and a Mac Mini, which nobody talked about in any of the rumors. And I love that. I love when Apple does something, and it's a big <laughs> thing, not a little thing. And it's like no rumor site had that. I love it that Apple could still keep a, a secret somewhere. <laughs> um, so, and they all they all seem to use the same M1 chip, but there is one weird difference because the MacBook Air, the low-end MacBook Air, says seven GPUs rather than eight GPUs. I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea why the that MacBook Air, I mean, I don't know, but there's that one difference. Maybe it's a typo. <laughs> it's a typo okay. or maybe like they just sort of, are dedicating one CPU's worth of power to something else. Could be, could be, but it's pretty neat. It's a, yeah. it's a chip. They call it a system on a chip because it's really not accurate to describe it as a CPU anymore. I mean, I'll still call it that. And if somebody calls it that, I, I know what they're talking about, but this one chip actually contains eight CPU cores Mm-hmm. Also, eight GPU cores mm-hmm. and eight neural network cores, a secure enclave, a bunch of memory, and a bunch of other stuff on a single chip. Right. So it really is kind of like taking a lot of parts and putting them onto one chip. Um, and they keep t- kept talking about how because uh, these different processors in the past would have had to exchange 
bits of memory, you know, hey, I'm the CPU and I'm going to give you a bunch of data, you know, you, the GPU, a bunch of data. And then the GPU says, great, I'm going to store that data here and then do something with it. Uh, they say, well, now it's just stored in one place. The CPU tells the GPU, hey, there's a bunch of data right here. You know, we, we're sharing it. And the GPU says, great, I'm going to do something with it. Um, so that's... Uh, that's kind of neat. The other thing is, is that four of the eight cores are high powered and four are high efficiency. So Interesting. The, I, the idea being that if uh, it doesn't need to tax those cores, it'll give those tasks to the high efficiency ones. So if you're just reading an article on the web or uh, maybe doing some word processing and contemplating your next sentence of your great American novel, <laughs> um, the, the the high efficiency cores will be the ones handling stuff, which will be higher, you know, energy use uh, or you know lower energy use actually, and higher battery performance. And then if you go and suddenly say, no, I'm going to render this video out in 4K, or you know whatever, do some math processing, it'll say, oh, I'm going to, you know, shove these calculations to the uh, high powered CPU. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting, a neat way to go about doing it. Uh, and and then yeah, we have these new machines. Um, no no real form factor changes. You know, the Air still looks like the MacBook Air. The MacBook Pro still looks the MacBook Pro, and the Mini still looks the same. It's just the internals that are changed. There's some changes to the keyboard of the MacBook Air that I haven't really taken the time to look at yet. But just the what the function keys do, they've kind of modernized that. Um, but otherwise, same form factor, same prices. And um, hopefully better performance, and they claim more or less three x performance. They certainly have made many claims about improved performance, not just over yeah. prior the, of their own machines, but they did some some real PC bashing along the way too. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they uh, you know we'll have to see like what the benchmarks actually are and everything uh, when people get their hands on these things. You know, a lot of it is going to depend on what kind of app you're running because you could be running of a course. native app uh, and that will give the greatest performance and those would be all like the Apple apps and stuff so a lot of people just use those um, then there will be the uh, Rosetta 2 apps the ones that are Intel apps that haven't been updated that will have to run those in a kind of an emulated mode but they to keep suggesting that you won't notice a performance decrease and you may actually notice a performance increase which could have to do with the GPUs because these are lower end models. These were all these were like the, the three lowest end Macs that are out there. The lowest end Mac Pro, the lowest end um, MacBook Air. Well, it, MacBook Air is kind of the lowest end. And then the Mac Mini, which is the lowest end desktop. These three didn't, do not have GPUs, like the Intel versions right now don't. So suddenly going to a processor that has these onboard GPUs will give a boost to performance even if you're emulating. Right. Um, so maybe, you know, that's probably what they mean. Uh, I'll be getting one. I, I ordered the Mac Pro, uh, MacBook Pro 13-inch. Um, seemed to make the most sense for me. I probably would have gone with the Air, but I wanted to keep the touch bar. It's what I've got now, my current MacBook Pro. And also, I wanted to keep the fan. Um, the Air doesn't have a fan, and the MacBook Pro does. That's one of the reasons why the body is bigger on the MacBook Pro. Um Technically, it's the same processor. What's the difference if you have a fan or not? Well, I, you know, these processors, they're smart enough to know if things get hot, 
to like calm down a bit. Right. <laughs> so if you're right. rendering video, it's going to be like, whoa, hold on. I'm going to render at the speed because I don't want to overheat. Right. Whereas if you have a fan, it'll be like, nope, I'm nice and cool. Go. So I thought the fu- to future proof this laptop and make it last a long time, the deal was I'll get a fan, which is the Mac Pro, uh, MacBook Pro, and then I get the touch bar. And of course, it's going to have a bigger battery as well. Right. Um, so that's what I ordered. I'll have it on the 17th, it looks like. I did, I, I was in there, like, I was trying to put together my video <laughs> and I had another screen open and I was like, refresh. And it was like, we'll be with you, you know, in a minute, we'll have an update in a minute, you know? And I was like, refresh. And it was like, boom, buy now page, buy now. <laughs> 13 inch MacBook <laughs> Pro. Yeah, give me the 512 uh, SSD and then go. I actually even spec'd out, I was going to do the 16 gig RAM and 512 uh, SSD. Right. And then I noticed the shipping date slipped by a week or two. <laughs> as soon as I said I wanted the 16 gigs of RAM. And I was like, nah, I, I'm fine. Eight gigs of RAM will be fine. It's what I have now on my MacBook Pro. Um, just get it to me. I'm assuming you could upgrade at some point. No, no. Apple hasn't. It's been nearly a decade now that Apple has had upgradable RAM. Interesting. On their Macs. They're soldered on. That's how they get the, the super thin unusual form factor and the battery isn't even a block the battery you know is spread out throughout the right thing. yeah i noticed that when i uh, uh pulled apart a, a macbook pro uh some time ago and yeah the mm-hmm. battery was this like weird floppy thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it needed special so. tools to get removed and so forth um is the the m1 the course the, the actual cores on the m1 is it the same processor architecture as in the a series it we don't know for sure. I mean, they didn't go into that level of detail. We can assume it is, because I mean, they, you know, these will run iOS apps in some way. We'll have to see when we get them how they work. But um, so we could assume that it's at least close enough that they were able to go and say, yeah, take these apps that may have been compiled for the ARM, you know, the A series chips right. years ago, right, and just run them. If that's you know that's the case, I gotta think it's pretty close to the cores that are on the those chips. Probably the same instruction set and all of that. Um, so, but it's one of the first things I'm going to test out. I still don't even know how you know how do you get a like an iPad app onto your Mac? Like because right now you know you can't find them in the App Store. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, and. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's going to be interesting all around to to get this thing. I'm surprised they jumped in with these three models because they really started to address. You know, the, they're making progress, right? I mean, they come out early next year with an iMac and then a high-end MacBook Pro, and that's most of their line. Um, I did notice that he said that this is a two-year journey. Yeah, um, so which makes sense given where yeah. they're starting in the in the the phasing yeah. that you just mentioned. I mean, there's the if they come out with an i, there's two sizes of iMacs. If they come out with those two, and then they come out with, they definitely have to come out with not only the 16-inch MacBook Pro, but also the higher-end 13-inch MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. um, with you know the four ports and all that. Once they do those, there's still the iMac Pro, and then the Mac Pro itself. So that you know, I'd say that uh, that's the end of the journey. There is those two models, right? Um, coming out with those. Uh, and they'd probably be able to do a very similar architecture between the two of them, at least for the processors and things. 
Um, but you know, they may, uh, that, that's what we may see in 2022 instead of 2021. Right. And I'm fine with that. Having just bought a new Mac pro a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the terms that got thrown around here, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, you know, they've got the CPU on the chip, they've got the GPU on the chip, they've got the RAM, this, that, and the other thing. This neural, whatever it is, is a term that I, I mean, you hear yeah. neural net thrown around all over the place. Do you, are you able to, to like describe exactly what it is and how it's different? No, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my gut feeling, you know, from a computer science standpoint is, you know, this is the, uh, you know, uh, it's the same thing as what we used to call a math coprocessor kind of deal. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm guessing, right? Uh, but you know, because the, that's the only thing I can think of is, you know, they could. There's certain tasks that high-end apps can, it, just like they can task the GPU to do graphics things, they could, you know, task the neural network to do stuff. I know that if you go into like Photoshop or Pixelmator or whatever, and you uh, use some of the filters and some of the touch-up tools and things right. like that. Right. It, it's using calculations that will be performed on the, those kinds of, you know, parts of the chip. Um, but I don't know how much more it's using for that. So, so I don't know. That is something I, I, I do want to look into at some point, what exactly is using that. Yeah. And not just what's using it, but what exactly is it <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect it's it's something much more than just a uh, a math coprocessor. Um, the concept certainly applies, but exactly what's going on inside that? I want to say that chip, but I guess it'd be that corner of the chip that um, uh, you know that that gets this fancy moniker. What I'm concerned about is that um, there's a risk that neural, whatever they're calling it. Um, yeah. is being used as more of a marketing term yeah. than a technology term. On the other hand, if it truly is a technology term, if they're actually doing something to enable true um, neural network style processing on the machine, uh, that could be interesting. I just, that's a, a pretty major thing. Uh, it would be, it, like I said, so it'll just be interesting to see how it, how it shakes out. Well, I mean, uh, Wikipedia refers to it as an AI accelerator, um, I guess Apple's trying to brand it as a neural network, but yeah, used for artificial intelligence applications, um, machine vision, machine learning, um, things like that. So I'm thinking a lot of graphics stuff mm -hmm. is using it. I'm thinking um, probably <laughs> filters and things done in video and photo editing are using it. And um, camera stuff too. Uh, I know, you know, just trying to make the camera, you know, handle those pixels better sounds like that would be going through it as well. So, so yeah, you know, some of the stuff that's traditionally been very difficult for CPUs. Um, so yeah, uh, let's see what else we've got that. So we have the three, three different machines coming out. Um, and then we have big Sur coming out on Thursday. Uh, so that's that's exciting. Of course, they that's not a big surprise. Last week they released a beta version that was titled uh, "Release Candidate One," which is a dead giveaway, of course. Right. That right. they're about to release it. So, uh, so yeah. So then we'll be up to uh, update up to date with Big Sur on the Intel Macs that support it ahead of uh, getting these first machines uh, to people. It's interesting. It always surprises me. I mean, you're surprised that they're able to um, 
basically keeps something a complete secret. In other words, it doesn't show up in, in even yeah. the rumor mill. But I'm always impressed when they can announce something and they then say, oh, yeah, by the way, you can order it right now and it'll show up next week. Yeah. Uh, that's that's unique and pretty amazing in this industry because what it means is that, again, in, I don't want to say complete secrecy, but in some pretty darn good secrecy, uh, clearly they've been manufacturing these things for weeks now. Yeah. And that means a lot of people have had to keep their mouths shut, <laughs> right? Yep. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I did get somebody asking me, uh, why didn't they mention the clock speed of the new processor? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about that for a second and thought, well, what? <laughs> there's only one in existence. The, the M1 processor is unique. So even if you had a clock speed, what would it mean? Cause I want you, to tell you. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, now when they come out with an M1A or an M2 or something, and then they go and they say, well, the other one was this and, you know, this is that. Then you could say, oh, okay, so we have a comparison. But if you knew the clock speed, it wouldn't help you. And I'm not seeing really Apple listing clock speeds. Well, they do. See memory? Well, no, they don't. It's interesting because clock speed in a lot of ways has become less and less relevant um, in recent years. It seems to have kind of sort of plateaued in that three to four gigahertz range for desktop machines. Um, But what hasn't plateaued are the number of CPUs, the number of cores. And clearly, you know, just releasing the quote unquote low end machines with eight cores each uh, is pretty significant. And that's the thing, that's the thing you can do to, uh, um, to compare against other processors. I suspect that given that it's a completely different architecture, any uh, clock speed that they published would only be useful for apples to oranges comparisons. In other words, right. it would be misused <laughs> dramatically. Exactly. So, so yeah, it, it makes sense that they'll keep it quiet for now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and, and I don't really see them using that much at all. Of course it, it isn't as important, you know, with the multiple c- CPUs and how they're used or not used, yep. you know, what goes to the GPU, what goes to the neural net, what goes to other things? Um, where's the bottleneck is there? Cause there's memory, there's cache memory, level one, level two, yep. there's all these different things. And, uh, that's why sometimes you actually see now, especially when you get to the ultra high end, you'll see things like machines that have 16, 24, 32 cores. Um, and then the clock speed is like 2.4 gigahertz. Right. And then you'll notice, hey, but the dual core low end version of that has a 2.8 gigahertz you know, yeah. processor. Yeah. So you know what's going on? And um, it's because that's not telling you the whole story or even really a majority of the story at this point. I remember running across a 128 core processor um, last year sometime, and obviously it's intended for uh, you know, big data houses, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially things like for running virtual machines, like where, you know, sites like where you and I host, where we get like a couple of those cores, um, and, but we're sharing the processor with, you know, 16 or 17 uh, you know, other sites all running on that same piece of hardware, although we don't notice it. Yep. Yep. So, so anyway, it's a good, it's a good day. I was excited. I, uh, I, I I liked what I saw and I'm excited to move forward and um, can't wait to get my hands on this and try some things out. 
Um, and then do, and, you know, and also, and big Sur too, for me is a big, you know, I've been holding back right. on so many, probably people are confused as why is he doing so many iPhone videos? It's Mac most, right? <laughs> but it's, it's because if I do a Mac video, you know, and, and I'm usually a few days in advance, you know, and they release big Sur, suddenly I have a video I can't, you know, that's not new anymore. Right. It's old before I even release it. Right. So I tend to focus on like apps and iPhone stuff and all when I know a big release is imminent. But now that it's out, not only do I have some videos that I've been waiting to run, but there's plenty of ideas I've had that I've been like, eh, let me wait until Big Sur is out. And then I'll do that as uh, an episode. And as we record this on Tuesday, Big Sur is getting released Thursday. finally on Thursday? Thursday, that's right. So um, I know what your weekend looks like. Yeah, well, you know, I've got some videos ready to go. And also I have a course, a full course on Big Sur that I'll be releasing, uh, you know, announcing in my newsletter on Thursday. Um, and I actually plan to do it. You know, I have my own courses website. Um, I'm going to do this at my courses website and Udemy mm -hmm. simultaneously. So, um, which I haven't done before. I've actually shied away from Udemy with my last few courses. Um, so, you know, based, I want to give people choice. Because right. really, if you're clicking on a link from my site, it really, really does not matter to me whether you buy it from my site or Udemy. You know, it's a matter of fact, you know, maybe I make a tiny bit more if you buy it from my site, but then Udemy is taking care of bandwidth and other things that I'm not, you know, so right. it right. kind of balances out. And hopefully and, also promoting you. Yeah, and, uh, and and what I've noticed, of course, is that at Udemy, since I'm not promoting my courses there anymore, they don't really get too much attention. So, uh, you know, and, and also I realize it's, it's, there are some people out there that are going to prefer you to me, nothing, you know, negative against my own site. It's just that they buy lots of courses there sure, and they have an account and they have their, you know, payment information. Maybe even at their company says, Hey, if it's work related at you to me, submit the invoice to, you know, the the, you know, whatever department handles such things. Right. And, and we pay for it for you. We, you know. We've heard of Udemy. We know, we know what to do with it. Yeah, we, yeah, we know. Yeah, if it's work-related, we'll pay for Udemy courses for continuing education. So I want to offer both. So, that, so this will be the first time I try to do like a simultaneous um, launch of a new course. And I'm curious to see how many people choose one over the other. Sure, so. sure. Right. Sounds good. Yep. So what's been happening in your world? Oh, man. So I came up with a new acronym, TWIL. This week I learned, you know, about TIL, right? Today I learned. Yeah. This week I learned. This week. So believe it or not, software matters. Mm -hmm. And it matters in a way that I didn't really expect. I guess I just didn't really think about it. Um, as you know, I too am recording videos and I do so um, over the last month or so. I've been uh, refocusing again on using my webcam, which is a Logitech Brio, mm -hmm. because it's yeah. actually a, certainly a good enough camera for, um, you know, just my talking head kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's got really good quality. It's very convenient. It's sitting in the right place. So I normally record with Camtasia, and Camtasia is defaults to showing you uh, the talking head, the webcam view on top of the screen recording down in the lower right-hand corner. Mm -hmm. I My style is different. Um, I typically will take the, uh, the webcam video 
and take it full screen and then just fade back and forth between myself and the desktop. Right. It wasn't until the most recent uh, version of Camtasia that that even worked. And I say that because in previous versions, the recorder could not keep up with uh, 1080p at 30 frames per second. Uh, it was it was awful, is what it was. Um, it just was not recording what the camera was putting out. The most recent version, yeah, records great. But I suddenly realized that the editing experience was, well, I'll just say rough. Now, I've got a fairly decent machine. In fact, when I spec'd it out earlier this year, it was specifically for doing things like video. So, you know, it's got a, a 16 core uh, AMD uh, CPU. It's got, you know, lots and lots of RAM. It's got SSDs, the whole nine yards. And yet Camtasia editor was pokey. And you've, you've certainly experienced that before where you're moving along in a, in a timeline while you're editing and the video kind of stutters and the audio continues and the video mm -hmm. has a, takes a few seconds to catch up and all that kind of stuff, which is not at all was I, what I expected out of, um, out of this machine. Using a CPU monitor, I determined that, um, well, yeah, it was using like one core of my 16 core machine. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, sometimes the higher density the higher number of cores you have, the slower the uh, the uh, uh, the speed of your CPU. So it probably was operating as if it were on a slow laptop for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, where I was used to seeing uh, you know, rendering at rendering time, actually using most of the CPU, once again, it was stuck down at around this 10 to 20% mark. And yes, I reached out to Camtasia and, and, and they um, had some suggestions that, that turned out not to work. In the meantime, though, I decided to try something else. I went and got the um, Logitech Capture software. Mm -hmm. That's the software from Logitech that is designed to work with their cameras and record video. So if all you really want to do is like record a message to your mom using your webcam, you could do that with... Um, with Logitech Capture, and it would save an MP3, MP4 file for you and, you know, do the usual stuff. It actually has more controls over the camera, which one would expect. It's kind of nice to play with. Um, I got better color balance out of it, I think. But what I noticed is that while I was recording, excuse me, on playback, I noticed that the recording had significantly more I call it artifacting. It may not be the right term, but it's basically, you know, those areas of your video that start to look like little blocks. Right. And specifically around my mouth, because during a video, that's probably the fastest moving piece of video that I have. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. I was surprised. I hadn't noticed it before, and I hadn't noticed it when recording with, um, uh, with Camtasia. So, and in fact, um, Connie, our, uh, the, she edits my videos. And among other things, she does the, uh, the audio production for, for this podcast. But she also edits my video. And she actually brought it to my attention independently that, hey, you know, things are looking a little funny here. So that surprised me. And I actually tracked it down to the, not the camera. The camera is great. It's the software. Because I then started recording using OBS. Um, I think you use OBS for your production flow, don't you? 
for only for my live uh, shows. Ah, okay. Um, I use OBS. Well, f- yeah, when I was doing live, I of course used it for that. Uh, I had been using OBS occasionally to record video, but because it was a little heavier weight and the Logitech capture software seemed to be doing the trick, I didn't bother. I tried it with OBS using just OBS as nothing more than uh, a, a webcam recorder, which mm-hmm. is like underutilizing all the functionality that it provides. And the quality was way better, which yeah. again, surprised me. And in researching it just a little bit, one of the things that Logitech seems to have done is they've offloaded, in order to make the webcams um, less expensive, they have offloaded some of the original hardware encoding in the camera and moved it down to the software. Uh, so there's less, you know, the, the, the requirements of the actual hardware that they sell you uh, are slightly less so they can make it cheaper. But what it really means then is that, like I started with, software matters. The software you use to capture your video uh, is actually probably the bigger determining factor as to the quality of what you end up with than, uh, you know, variations in the same, you know, in the model line of a particular camera. Um, like I said, I'm, I was shocked that that was the result, but I wanted to pass it along to... Um, to you, of course, but also to anybody uh, in our audience, our listeners, so to speak, who uh, might be doing something with webcams and they're kind of surprised at the quality that they're experiencing. They might want to, I would have expected, honestly, I would have expected the Logitech software for the Logitech camera to give me the best results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did. Yeah, I, I think it's the, in, yeah, this different software will encode differently. Um, and I guess, to me, it seems like when Logitech makes a camera like this, their primary audience, people doing, um, you know, live, you know, like Zoom or Google Meet or, you know, whatever. It's live stuff. It's using sure. it as a webcam. That's sure. like their primary thing. When people like you or me use it to actually record uh, and build something from the recording, I think we're in the vast minority, tiny minority, tiny minority of. I'm sure we're in the minority people. But- so, I mean, that's that's why I think their software is probably they just have not invested the time to try to figure out the best encoding for you know producing this video. Whereas OBS um, and other things will do a better job. Um, I, you know, it's a shame, uh, you know, I, I don't use Camtasia, but I use ScreenFlow, of course, mm-hmm. on a Mac. Um, and I find it does a better job. I haven't done a, a close comparison uh, between, Camp, you know, Camtasia or, or, and ScreenFlow and QuickTime recording and then uh, OBS as well to see. I guess it's, to me, I'm, I'm already shrinking the video down a bit from what I'm capturing. So, I'm okay. And, it, and my workflow is way better if it, ScreenFlow is the answer or if it's close to the best, you know, answer. Um, but right, I, I think it's encoding. I think it's what it comes down to. It's interesting because certainly using Camtasia's built-in um, webcam recording um, mm. is by far the easiest, right? You end up with yeah. a single project that has everything built into it and you're done. With, um, with the other solutions, be it the Logitech uh, Capture or be it the uh, using OBS, I now have this separate file that I have to drag into my Camtasia project and manually sync with 
um, with the video that's been recorded you know, the, of the desktop. Um, it's doable. It works. And it's, it's what I'll do. But it just surprised me. The reason that I'm, a, I'm, I'm even a little bit more surprised, though, about Logitech is simply that the Brio, as you know, is a 4K camera, right? Mm. So it's designed to record or to produce really high-resolution video. Com- certainly compared to, um, you know, the, the, your little head in the corner, like, you know, so many videos do, um, or even better than, certainly better than the 1080p that I tend to record at. So given that the camera has that, you know, that ability to produce that higher resolution video, I'm surprised that, again, Logitech's own software kind of sort of throws that out of the way um, when when they're encoding. So... Anyway, mm. encoder beware. Uh, yeah, that's definitely. the uh, my my big takeaway, and hopefully my mouth won't look quite as um, uh, jagged or pixelated or boxy um, for those of you who are forced to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I did actually. Uh, I was surprised. I think it was you that suggested to me uh, for my live episodes. Uh, I'm using OBS to go to YouTube Live. Mm-hmm. And then I was then taking the YouTube live recording and downloading that after the fact right. and then creating my podcast. And you said, well, just take the recording from OBS. And I just assumed <laughs> that if I tried to do live stream and record, OBS would say, oh, you, you, no, you can't do both. Right. That's, you know, and so I was like, huh. So I tried it and I was like, oh, it, it works. It'll do it. So the, my last live episode I did you know, I, I remember to hit the record button uh, <laughs> at the same time I did live. And then I sure enough streamed. And when I was done, I had a nice massive many gigabytes file of my, you know, original uh, video that was not streamed over the internet and then compressed by YouTube and then sent back to me. Uh, so I was probably uh, able to produce a higher quality podcast episode right. uh, from that. But, uh, and best of all, I didn't have to wait for YouTube to finish processing and then download it from them while. and all that. Yeah. yeah, which delayed things by about an hour or so. Um, so that was nice. That was a good tip there. And that's something I'll continue. The big to- difference for, for those who might be wondering, uh, I noticed this right away because I did run that experiment early on after I did a live something or other. And uh, I record, as I said, in 1080p. So it's 1920 by 1080. Uh, and that's what I stream, right? That's what I gave to YouTube. But when mm-hmm. I downloaded the saved recording from YouTube, they had downsampled it to um, uh, 720p. So it was 1280 by 720. And that just annoyed me, <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, you're right. I, I, I certainly uh, can see thinking that streaming versus recording is normally an either or kind of a thing. But no, OBS lets you do them both. Speaking of uh, you know resolution and all that, oh. um, another thing I tried in the last two weeks was Sony came out with their camcorder, uh, or not the cam, you know, their their camera webcam software, and this is something that all the major cam camera manufacturers earlier in the year after the pandemic started and everybody started using Zoom, and all of the webcams suddenly were out of stock. Um, they all I don't know if they got together or it was just uh, it just happened that way, but. You know, Canon and Sony and everybody said, oh, well, I suppose we could release a little software patch to turn our cameras, our nice cameras, into webcams. So if you didn't get grab a webcam before the pandemic, you can at least use your nice camera as one. Um, and then they all did that. And 
Sony, uh, being Sony, uh, did theirs late and then did theirs for Windows only. <laughs> um, <laughs> whereas people with Canons and all had this you know, software to do it. But then eventually Sony got around to it and said, oh, here's the Mac version. So having this new Sony you know, uh, Alpha uh, 6300 and using it to record through the CamLink um, adapter, I was like, great, now I could do it directly from the Sony camera into my Mac. Well, not so fast. Uh, pretty much, <laughs> uh, it, it, it really sucks. It's, first, it, it didn't work with almost anything except for, like it worked with Zoom. I, I tried it recording in a bunch of different ways and some things worked and some things didn't. Others just produced nothing but a, a screen saying like Sony webcam software or something like that. I mean, so it was really bad in terms of trying to get it to work. Clearly, it was uh, uh, not designed to be a general purpose, use it for anything stream, but very specific things. And even after I got it to work, it's uh, 1040 video across, um, which is really disappointing for a 4K camera. Uh, so, you know, and they, and they said that too. I just didn't believe it. I was like, oh, come on. Surely it's got to be better than that. And so, yeah, so it was a really bad experience. So even though technically now I can pull video directly from my Sony camera through USB and use it on, say, Zoom, I really, it doesn't help my recording situation, which still goes through the cam link. I was going to say the cam link solves your problem, though, doesn't it? I mean, you can get oh, that through Oh, it's compl Zoom. completely. The, yeah. only, the only thing is, you know, it would have been nice maybe if it worked really well that I could you know have one less piece of hardware to deal with sure and also it i haven't ever been able to get to work really with 4k right. i it, just not at 30 frames a second more like at 10 frames a second a lot of skipped frames although i really need to try i haven't tried it recently like with my mac pro um that was with you gotta try it with your new machine when that comes next week yeah, exactly. Well, boy, you know, I don't know what's going to work with that machine. Like, will ScreenFlow even work? <laughs> um, if it doesn't, that's fine-ish because I could still just record. And I've been doing this for a while now. I record using my Mac Pro, my camera, and my audio. And I record using my MacBook Pro, the screen, because my MacBook Pro has Big Sur on it. And my Mac Pro is Catalina. So that means that I am basically pulling a screen grabs from one machine and pulling other things from another. And I use um, virtual screen sharing. Oh, sure. Yep. Not to pull the video, but just so I'm actually controlling it on my main screen. It's, it's not great, like in terms of, uh, you know, being, you know, it's, it looks like there's a little bit of a delay sometimes when I click, things like that. You know, I mean, I'm pulling a full, basically 4K across to another machine there. Right. But it allows me to at least control it, and I can still face the camera and still do everything like I do normally. And then when I'm done, I just basically transfer the video from the Mac that was, at, you know, the MacBook Pro to my uh, to my Mac, uh, Mac Pro and then combine them in ScreenFlow. And I could do that with Big Sur. I mean, with, um, sorry, with the, like the new ARM Macs that are coming out. I, so next week I get mine. I could basically do screen capture with nothing but QuickTime if I wanted to. Right, right. And then pull that uh, over and combine it with my camera and voice on my Mac, on my Mac Pro um, if nothing, you know, if it doesn't quite work right. But hopefully it does. I think I've shared with you that I have the same experience with the Camtasia, or not the Camtasia, the CamLink. CamLink is just not up to 4K. 
Yeah, mm. it's disappointing. It's like it just there's just not enough throughput there. Um, but you know, exactly. yeah. I, I only need the 1080 right now. I've got a camera. I, I you know the thing is, I spent the money, bought a camera that has 4K HDMI output. So when something does hit the market that's affordable that I can grab 4K with, right. um, I've got the right camera for it. I know there are some stuff from there's some stuff from Blackmagic or Agato or someone's got you know some like several hundred dollars you know expensive video capture stuff that may or may not actually grab the 4K. But um, I shy away from that stuff. I bought a lot of stuff from uh, uh, Blackmagic in particular in the past, only to have it work in exactly what they've advertised. Like works with OBS and, uh, you know, and like these two other programs. And it's like, oh, well then surely it works with QuickTime Player and screen uh, ScreenFlow. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't. Um, whereas the Camlink uh, thing, it just seems to really be a just a regular webcam. It just works with anything that I've ever tried it with. Yeah, even on on the Windows side, it just it doesn't show up as anything other than here's another video device that you can use for all yeah. so, all the apps that reuse video devices. So that's pretty nice. Um, yeah, I did notice that um, one of the disappointments with OBS is that you can have it be your webcam. In other words, instead of your webcam going directly yeah. into Zoom, you can send your webcam into OBS and then have OBS's output go into Zoom. Um, besides the fact that audio is not part of that path, so you have to play some games with timing, uh, the uh, uh, output from OBS does not appear in all apps that support video. So it's right. things where they're doing something a little bit different that makes them something less than a generic video source. Yes, I've been disappointed in that too because you definitely could do some really cool things with Zoom um, using you know, OBS if mm -hmm. that, that missing piece was there. Yep. Um, and especially now that Zoom is so uh, uh, you know, interesting, they have the ability to, uh, you, you could set a paid um, basically, Zoom calls or whatever. Sure. Uh, which paid, paid webinars is what we would end up webinars. calling. It. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they, you think about it. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "Well, that's really interesting." Because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you could do one-on-one, like you could be a guitar teacher, and you could simply schedule a one-on-one -on -one call as a paid Zoom thing and get paid that way for tutoring somebody in guitar, or you know, you could do a class, 20 right. people. Okay, great. Or you could do a thousand person address and, you know, have everybody pay 10 bucks. Um, so that would be more powerful if you could, you know, pipe OBS into it and then really run the whole thing as like a live TV show. Right, right. Um, again, for the for our listener who doesn't know, uh, OBS is actually pretty close to um, a software emulation of you know these huge video and audio mixing boards, uh, where you can bring in all sorts of different cameras. I've done multi-camera stuff with it. Um, you can have uh, you can fade in videos during this, all happening live. It's like you're you're toggling between things live. It's the the guy in the uh, uh, the production room of a live show's studio. Uh, toggling everything and making everything happen. So it's yep. a, it's a cool piece of software. It is. Uh, it it really is, and it's it's the if whenever you see somebody streaming on YouTube or Facebook uh, or I think even 
Uh, Twitch is yeah, another Twitch, popular definitely. one. Uh, that's probably being done by OBS. The one piece of that puzzle that I've not bothered to figure out yet is that there are some uh, folks who are streaming live to all three of those simultaneously. And I don't think that OBS will do that. I could be wrong, but I don't think it'll do that. And yeah. I think they're using another piece of software uh, to basically fan out their stream into those different formats. Yep. Cool. Let's see. So last week, yeah, um, we were talking about, um, I forget what we were talking about, but it came up that uh, The Naked Sun, right. Asimov's robot book from uh, many years ago. The 50s, yeah. Yeah was uh, an interesting parallel to uh, uh, you know, what's going on in society right now. So I took the hint and I did my homework. And since last week, actually it's been two weeks, you're right. We, were, we had two weeks to, I had two weeks to get, turn my homework in. Um, I ended up rereading uh, The Caves of Steel, which is the first book in that trilogy, and The Naked Sun, which is the one we were talking about. The Caves of Steel is basically... Uh, pictures a, a very overpopulated earth where people are living in large, dense um, uh, cities where it's, you know, the classic uh, dystopia where it's all apartments and roofs and nobody actually sees the sun because they never leave these buildings. Okay, our naked sun is just the opposite. The, uh, the protagonist is sent to a different planet to, uh, uh, to investigate a murder. And that's the, 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 you know, that planet has like 20,000 people on the entire planet. So they've each got like thousands of acres to themselves. And quite literally, they'd never, ever meet in person or only very, very rarely. And it becomes um, a very uh, socially awkward, if not panic inducing uh, situation. If they're ever forced to meet someone in person, they do everything via telepresence. Uh, which I thought was actually kind of prescient on his part. It was very much the Zoom effect of what we're doing today, except in uh, in 3D. Uh, anyway, I enjoyed both books. I thought they were both, um, I call it timely because of the parallels with what we're going through right now in The Naked Sun. Timeless, just because they are good stories and there are there, there's just ama- uh, amazing science fiction uh, standards to uh, to reread again after all this time. And yet... Dated. <laughs> it was very interesting to see all the things that he got right 50 years ago and some of the things that didn't quite turn out as expected. Um, the ones that I, that I, you know, enjoyed remembering since I've read most of his work before uh, were this concept of instead of having cars, we were all uh, traveling about on what are essentially uh, horizontal escalators, moving walkways. Mm. And uh, so there'd be like seven or eight strips of moving walkways operating at increasing speeds as you go from left to right or from right to left. And, you know, people would commute by getting on one of these and then go to the next faster one, go to the next faster one and so forth. There was a a short story he wrote at one point called The Roads Must Roll that um, basically talks about a strike by the, the folks charged with maintaining that and basically how it brings that society to a, to a standstill. Um, I just, I enjoyed rereading them again. And yes, uh, what I did not realize is that the third book was actually written uh, some 20 years after the first two, the first two were written in the fifties and he kept meaning to read the, write the third one, the robots of dawn. And it wasn't uh, until at least a couple of decades, if not longer later 
that he uh, basically got around to doing that. And uh, that is, in fact, uh, on my Kindle as we speak, and is the book currently under under construction. So thanks for reminding me of that. Like I said, it's, it was a nice trip to, uh, to go back and, and reread some of that stuff all these years later. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way when I, I reread Foundation, you know, earlier. Um, so, so, yeah. Some things are, some things are, you know, nice and you know, uh, he predicted pretty well, and other things, nope. Um, yeah. it, it always reminds me. There's some book, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but it won like either you know the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, and all of that. It's not by Asimov, but um, I remember they go to the moon, and a big deal was that because of the lower gravity on the moon, they were able to carry around an entire computer in a large backpack, one person <laughs> wouldn't be possible on the earth to carry an entire computer with you, but on the moon, you could just do it, you know? And, uh, you know, as I glance at my Apple watch here and <laughs> yeah, exactly, that was pretty good. One thing that, um, Asimov didn't suffer from, I, I reread, um, one of Heinlein's books, um, uh, stranger in a strange land. Uh, oh, yeah. Either yeah. earlier this year or last year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it comes across as extremely sexist these days. Um, some mm, of the, yeah. you know, the, the writing and the, the prevailing ideas of the 50s didn't translate well. There were still some anachronisms like that in Asimov's writing, but not nearly as many. Um, I found that yeah. much more comfortable. I found the Foundation series, the three books, the original trilogy, the first book suffered from that in a big way. Um, I was almost there were almost no female characters at all in the first book. Mm-hmm. It was all male characters, and there was many mentions of you know sexist things about men sure. being in charge. I mean, it was written like 1951 or whatever, <laughs> and 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 you know it may not have been, you know it may have been on purpose because in those books it's in the far future, but things in some social ways have regressed. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like basically one half far future science fiction with spaceships and, you know, the whole galaxy uh, is inhabited. On the other hand, it's ancient Rome, you know, so, <laughs> yes. you know, so there's like, so it may not have been that it, he was simply writing as a writer in the early 50s. He may have actually been writing specifically to say things are going to regress and women, you know, will lose a lot of uh and the progress that they made or all, you know, by then all the progress back to what it was like in the Roman empire. But then in book two and three, it's almost like you realize that. And basically what, you know, the, one of the main characters, not the main character at some point is a woman that takes over. And that has a lot to say also right. about uh, these men that are, you know, questioning whether or not she, she should be doing what she's doing or she, she can do what she's doing and all that. So it's very aware there, but interesting. Um, I uh, see, I, I have, I'm, I'm always reading, but I wanted to point out a series, a TV series that I saw uh, called travel man, which is a British TV series. It's actually been around for 10 years now. But, you know, in the traditional British uh, way, it's, you know, four or eight episodes a year right. <laughs> type of thing. And it uh, stars uh, Richard Ayoade, who is um, in one of my all-time favorite TV shows, uh, the IT crowd, a British uh, TV show. Uh, so that's why I discovered this was because uh, you know, a friend of mine recommended it. And then it was like, oh, he's in it. Um, and all it is is a simple travel show, little half-hour episodes where he takes a, another British celebrity – 
um, on a holiday somewhere, usually in Europe, um, 48 hour holiday, and then uh, is basically cynical about the entire idea of travel the entire time <laughs> so you know he's you know it says things like you know i i don't know why they renamed istanbul constantinople was a perfectly good name you know that, that kind of thing you know um and they and he usually goes on some unusual kinds of things you know visiting different cities like venice and vienna and and uh barcelona and things like that um and these celebrities he's with he's always brings one companion with and they're British celebrities, which I'm sure everybody in the UK sees and knows who everybody is in the U S uh, half the time, right. you know, unless you're into, into British TV shows, half the time, at least if not more, you're going to be like, I have no idea who that person is, <laughs> but they, they seem to be famous, but I have never seen them before in my life, we but they're always that, funny. We run into that all the time. We watch um, the Graham Norton show. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is a, a British talk show or as they would yeah. say, a chat show. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing, they bring on a lot of uh, British comedians who are, you know, very, very funny or British singers who are very, very good that we've never, ever heard of. Um, and it's, it's entertaining. And then, of course, we go back and watch some of our British TV and, oh, look, there's that person or whatever. That face is really familiar. Yep. So anyway, it's fun. It's great because half hour show is a perfect little thing to just slip in between, you know, two serious shows or right. to you know, end the night of TV watching when you're watching it, something more serious and say, which, I just um, want to have a good laugh before I go to bed. Which streaming service are you getting that off of? It is on Hulu. It is. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, let's see. So paying for the podcast this week, <laughs> blatant self-promotion. Um, I want to point out, uh, I, take a, I take an interesting position on some of the, th- one of the, the, the quote unquote rules that has been in place for a very, very long time when it comes to password management. Uh, my article, um, is a periodic password change a good thing? Is, um, well, as you can imagine, my answer is no. You, there's really no reason to change a password just because it got old. There are many other reasons to change a password but age is not one of them. And there are wonderful stories about how people will circumvent forced password changes in some interesting ways that ultimately lead to passwords being less secure than the intent of this Mm. rule would have it. Interesting. Um, I wanted to point out, uh, not a regular video of mine this week, but I've been doing videos on TikTok. (laughs) Um, TikTok, of course, the popular video streaming service that is mostly, well, I, I would say every time I go and I say it's used by kids, teens and college age kids, my wife corrects me and says, not at all. Um, it's used by all, all ages. And it, the only thing is they have to be 60 seconds or less and they have to, they're usually vertical video. So I decided to jump in to TikTok and make a few 60 seconds or less vertical video, Mac most tutorials, usually just tips because I only have 60 seconds. So there's not much right. I can do. And uh, I started putting them up on my TikTok channel. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just early days. So just getting content up there and maybe at some point it'll turn into something. But if you are on TikTok, uh, you can follow Mac most at Mac most. I actually was able to get at Matt most, which is incredible because I wasn't able to get at Matt most on YouTube in like 2007. Right. But for some reason in, you know, November, 2020, I was able to get it at TikTok. So 
anyway, having fun with that. I also post the same videos since they're vertical. Anyway, I post them to Instagram uh, as well. Are you posting those as stories on Instagram? No, just posts. Just posts. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's one of the other things that I want to play around with because when I take a look at my own Instagram usage, uh, I actually watch stories, uh, which surprises me. I mean, I, I will, I will scroll through the feed and see different things, but for certainly for a certain number of, uh, Instagram creators I said, yeah, you know, I will watch their video. They're doing some interesting things. Uh, Instagram doesn't necessarily have that same length limitation. You can make really long videos. You just have to be satisfied to have a, a bit of a hiccup every, I'm not even sure every 30 seconds or something like that because they break it into segments. Yeah. Yeah, it is a challenge to do 60 second videos for this um, because of uh, some topics work just fine. You know, right. 35 seconds, oh, I'm done. And other times I am down there editing out spaces <laughs> between my words to try to get it to 60 seconds. It's like, oh, come on, I can't take that piece of information out. You know, how can I shorten this sentence here? Actually, but, uh, the other thing you can do is um, um, adjust the speed of the video. <laughs> Yeah, I have actually done that. I actually did. I think one of them was like 61 seconds and I was like, I cannot take. So I just sped it up to 60 seconds and you can't tell. Um, <laughs> the uh, And also I've begun putting them on uh, the same ones. Uh, you know, I think it was you that alerted me to this first, but then I started hearing about it everywhere within 24 hours. You know, YouTube is going to be competing with TikTok and right. it's called YouTube Shorts. And there is kind of a backdoor way for me to get those videos up there. Uh, but I don't really know if it's easy to see them at the moment. From um, what I understand, they really only show up on mobile. Yeah, they only, they're only mobile. But I, I got the feeling it's going to be there eventually be a special mode of the YouTube app or perhaps a completely separate YouTube app. Right. Yep. So right Could now they're just telling people, hey, if you wanted to post something, uh, you could do it this way. And I'm like, well, I'm making them anyway. So why not? I will put them yeah. there. They, they have had YouTube stories for some time, but you have to have a certain number of subscribers in order to be able to post stories. And um, I'm certainly not there. I suspect that you're not either. I remember it being a relatively high number. Uh, yeah. But there's, if, if you just you know post these less than one minute vertical videos, it's like, okay, label them shorts or hashtag them shorts. And all of a sudden they stand a chance of appearing here. The one thing that somebody did point out is that um, for those of us who um, you know, are interested in monetizing what we do on YouTube, uh, these are not monetizable. They, they do not have a, a facility for uh, generating any revenue. Um, they are just throw some videos up there and see who pays attention. Well, actually, I mean, it's not completely true. I think, uh, let's see here. Let me look. Um, yeah, so here's the deal. I mean, they're YouTube shorts, and as shorts, they're not monetizable, but they're also there as regular videos for people that are browsing the web on their computers. Right, 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 right. So I have, I mean, it hasn't been like, you know, any big amount of money, but ads, the normal YouTube ads will show for those. So in a way, I mean, I'm still making a few bucks here at YouTube from them. But yeah, that's not that's not really what I'm going for. I'm going for subscribers, of which course, is the same course. thing I'm doing on YouTube, on TikTok. I mean, TikTok, there's no way. I, everybody always is, you know interrupts me and says, "No, no, no, you're wrong." When I say there's no way to make money on TikTok, 
there is there are lots of great ways to make money on TikTok. You know, to brand advertising and sure. become part of a network and do all that. You know, for the influencers and all of that. You know, if you're doing makeup tutorials or fashion or lifestyle, all that stuff's great. But there is no like TikTok switch. Hey, turn this on now. Give me some ad share money, um, like there is on YouTube. So um, the main way to make money that way is basically use your TikTok channel to promote your YouTube channel, which you'll find a lot of <laughs> you know, people doing that. And that's right. exactly what I'm doing. I'm not looking to do anything with TikTok other than just, you know, um, get people to, to find out about me and go over to the YouTube channel or, to, or better yet to MacMokes.com. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I will be watching with interest. Uh, in fact, I may end up installing TikTok on my phone again. Um, I took it off a while back because I just wasn't using it. But now that, now that, now that you've legitimized it, yeah. I, I need to be there. I need to see you, what's going on. You gotta, you know, what I've been doing, cause you got to train TikTok, you know, there's the whole privacy thing. Like I don't want TikTok to know anything about me. Well, if you don't, then you're just going to see videos of like people dancing around all day. Right. Um, so what I've been doing uh, is I, I, you know, looked around until I found something that was vaguely tutorial-like, and I liked it. Even though, you know, I didn't know anything about the channel, whatever. I was like, I like this kind of content. And then more and more now, as I do that, I'm finding more tutorials. Maybe it's not on Mac stuff. Maybe it's like, you know, how to do something, you know, home improvement-wise. Or maybe it's, you know, an Android phone tip or something like that. I just, anytime I see something like that, I'm saying, yes, hit the little heart button. And it's getting better now um, at showing me things that apply a bit more. It's, I still see people dancing around, <laughs> um, but uh, it, you know, I am seeing that there is content out there. Um, it's just not, uh, uh, you know, and you could search by hashtag too. So like I use the hashtag iPhone tips for my iPhone stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just simply every once in a while, I will search for iPhone tips and see what else people have tagged with that and then like that stuff. And that's also training TikTok. So you kind of got to go through a, a weird growth period where right. you see lots of stuff that are people dancing around, maybe even some vaguely inappropriate stuff, depending upon your age and, uh, <laughs> right. you know, uh, all of that, you know, whether or not you're a parent. Um, and yeah, so it takes takes a little getting used to, but but uh, but it is kind of neat to see what people do. I do love the videos that are kind of the harmless, like you know, lip sync or a funny little thing kind of thing. Because sometimes people get really creative. I was going to say there's there's definitely some really really creative stuff out there. I agree with yeah. you there for sure. I and yeah, people that they're not you know, it's just blowing off steam, having fun. And it's like, good for them. That, that was funny. I like that they did that. And it looks like they had a good time doing it too. Yep. Way better that they went outside, made this fun TikTok video and posted it, right? Than just sat and watched Netflix that night. The way I think about it anyway. There you go. Sound, sounds like a parent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anyway. With that, yes, the with that. show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh117. If you've got a comment or a question for us, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast or leave a comment on the show notes page. And heck, if you're on TikTok, go find MacMost. Why not? Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Take care. Bye-bye.